0: Right, it is noon. We want to start this thing on time and get done on time. So, welcome to our monthly CME presentation, um, which we're going to try to do monthly. We, this is our second, our second go-around. In our first go-around, we talked about basically Bioidentical Hormones 101. And based on feedback, what some people would have liked to see is a stepwise approach to evaluate hormone-related disorders, including a screening tool. And so we have met your requests, and hopefully you're listening in. You'll get something out of this. After today's session, I am hoping that you will be able to, in your clinical practice, be able to evaluate to screen and evaluate hormone-related disorders. That's the whole objective of this presentation. So I am Sean Needham, and I do own Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy. And Carl Lambert, ARMP, will be on the line again. And he is going to be presenting most of the time. I'm just kind of doing an introduction and going through some of the first slides to show you some of the the details and objectives about what we'll be doing. There is one – you will get one CME credit for this – um, presentation, so if you do listen in, make sure make sure you, you let Lindsay know lindsay 's been in contact with most of you, and she is taking care of all the administrative tasks and Thank you so much, Lindsay, for that. A lot of work goes on behind the scenes to set this up, so I really really appreciate it and like I said we 're hoping to continue these we 're not going to do them in the summer, so June, July, and August we will be absent. But um, stay tuned in September because we're hopefully going to have another session in September. So that being said, make sure you give us feedback of future topics you would like to hear. You know, maybe more specifics about certain specific hormones, or maybe something non-hormone related. We would love to hear hear your feedback, and we do listen to them. That's why we're doing this one today, is because of because uh, of feedback from from a viewer. So we really appreciate it. So let's go ahead and get started. And um, go ahead and one more slide the objective is the objective is um how to use a screening tool um carl shared with me his screening tool we're going to be going over that here shortly it's really really cool um, great great way to educate patients for sure um and what does you know what does the first visit look like when you're evaluating hormones um, which laboratory tests are appropriate and optimal versus normal laboratory um, values you'll hear that a lot when it comes to hormone replacement optimal versus normal and not just hormone replacement but i'm a big believer in that period um labs are just a tool to go along with symptoms and history so optimal is very 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 important versus normal because what is normal sometimes when we look at normal labs we're really those lab levels were based on sick patients um, not optimal of feeling patient, so let's remember that. So, what does initial laboratory review look like, and then what's the appropriate time for follow-up? <clears throat> screening tool. This is a really, really cool screen tool that Carl shared with me. Um, Carl is um, the CEO, president of uh, Ready Medi Clinic in East Wenatchee, and we've been working with him for many years, and I and I appreciate. Carl's expertise and just just love working with Carl and his patients just say so so many good things about him so thank you for being on the presentation today Carl so here is when you log into this it's called simplehormones.com and um, it's free for patients and providers pay for it and I will let you I'll let Carl talk a little bit more about that but you pay for this um, service like annually or something and then you give the patients a login and this is a great way. There's, um, there's one on menopause and there's one on, on males and like we're there's a the menopause one right there. Um, so, and there's, there's little, little quick videos um, to educate patients about um, these different issues. Um, go ahead and go back to the male one, Lindsay. And if you look at some of these, I mean, these are things that you know, Carl and I talk to our patients about, um, you know, all the time, if you look down to the module two, um, testing normal versus optimal levels of, of testosterone. You know, those are just things we hit home all the time. So to have a video where patients can reference that is is a great opportunity. Um, same thing with going to the menopause one. You know, if you look at some of these... Um, you know the root problem of menopause. We, we talk constantly to our patients about fixing problems to the treating symptoms. Hot flashes are just a symptom of um, um, deficient hormones. So you know we you know fix the hormones and you fix a lot of other problems. There's some other things in there. I like the one if you remember from the presentation a month ago when I talked about Premarin. There's a little video on there about uh, about Premarin and it says hormones from horse pee, disgusting. And like I said, I, I am not politically correct about it anymore. I used to be a little bit nicer about it, but I just call Premarin what it is. So, um, you know, lots of good videos like that. So, um, Carl, do you have anything to add about, um, what, you, what, has been your experience with this, with this, uh, little module?
1: You know, I, I probably have been using it, uh, for my patients while well, I, for the last at least a year, and it's made a huge difference whether I give it to the link to patients either before they come in to see me or after I've spent time with them, educating them, and I say, okay, now we're going to get labs, but I'm going to send you this link. And most uh, men and women come back on, one wow, of those really answered a lot of questions or confirmed what you had already said. So it's it's been a really helpful tool, and it's really cut down on – a lot of questions, a lot of my time, and it just gives folks kind of the confidence to to move forward.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important with hormone replacement is there's so much misinformation out there, I believe, that it's important to give the patient great information so they can make um, educated decisions based on what the clinician says and based on other educational tools. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today, Carl.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: So go ahead and go to the next slide, Lindsay. I think we're we're going to really focus on case studies today. Um, so, but here's some of the symptoms that Carl would look for in his office, um, and and you know, in our pharmacy when 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 we are referring patients, we were we refer a lot of patients Carl's way since he is a hormone expert. Um, these are some symptoms that we will get when when females call in and probably the number one symptom, maybe not number one, but a very, very common one is, is hot flashes. That's a very, very common one. And the great thing about that is those are pretty easy to fix usually. Um, but weight gain, insomnia, moody, fatigue, decreased libido, high cholesterol, history of thyroid cancer, um, You know, all these are symptoms of of hormone deficiencies. So when you think high cholesterol, um, my point is when, you know, and I hit this home last time, but I just, I want to reiterate this. When you see a patient, especially in their mid forties, male or female, they have high cholesterol, don't think Lipitor, think hormones. Um, Carl, what do you have to add to this slide?
1: I I would, you know, actually there's a case study I would have loved to have added uh, just, uh, you know, kind of honing in on that point of high cholesterol and the benefits of hormones in lowering those. It just is, it's, it's fun to watch it. See, you know see it actually, actually in clinical practice.
0: And speaking of that, um, not tomorrow, we have a Thursday podcast um, health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And this is not an advertisement for it, but we're just talking about cholesterol. So not tomorrow, but the next Thursday, I am going to be discussing, Um, cholesterol and if cholesterol is bad. So, you know, um, tune into that. We can give you some information about that too, because it's going to be a good one. It's going to be controversial because so many patients are on high cholesterol medications, but I'm not sure cholesterol is the problem. Do you have anything else to add to this slide about symptoms with females, um, Carl?
1: I I would just say, uh, again, that it's a beauty to watch, uh, especially, you know, the females, uh, have a lot of those things change not dramatically. It's over the course of several weeks, several months uh, that you start to see them. You know, lose those hot flashes. That that happens pretty quickly. But to lose the weight, to sleep better, to feel better uh, that's just a, a, a tremendous benefit.
0: It is, and it's so inspiring. And I I just love seeing seeing patients get better and, and, and fixing their problems rather than just treating symptoms. And we have fixed so many patients with hormones. And that's why I have such a big passion for it, because patients just are so, so grateful for things they've been going to the doctor for, for years. And they've said it's all in their head. Um, and then, you know, we finally get, get their hormones balanced and they feel so much better. Can you hit a little bit on the history of thyroid disease, um, Carl? That's kind of a, I don't ask that question a lot. So can you hit a little bit on that one, Carl?
1: Uh, well, thyroid, you know, so, you know, when it comes to thyroid, and this is a common complaint I hear from so many females, not not so many men, but uh, females, they come in and they go, you know, I, I've been to the doctor, they always tell me my labs are, you know, if we call that reference range, they're within the reference range, I, I can't explain uh, why you're still fatigued or why you have, I didn't put, uh, I don't think there's brain fog on there, but that's a common complaint um, that woman will come in and say I've got brain fog hits me usually two o'clock three o'clock in the afternoon and this is even with folks that might be on some thyroid replacement therapy and so you know I explained to them what we do differently why we're looking at not just TSH but T3 free T4 free and we're not just looking at reference ranges we're going to work on Getting folks into the optimal level or optimal range and then when we do that and it's usually within weeks of seeing them back six seven weeks uh, they'll come back go yeah that brain fog is gone that that fatigue is gone so it makes a huge difference and then it's fun to look at how they're feeling and then compare that with where their labs fall now
0: Awesome. Yeah. Amazing transformations. Yeah. There are a lot of stories like that when women have been on the, especially women, like you say, they've been on the same dose of thyroid for years, but they don't feel good. And then you put them on some T3, which we're going to go into a little bit of that later in case studies and they feel better. So, so symptoms of males and um I will just say this, and this is not a sexist comment at all, but males are just, for obvious reasons, uh, males are just so much easier to treat um, with hormones than than, um, females. Now, it's not that men don't have estradiol. It's not that men don't have progesterone. It's just that you usually just don't have to focus on those. Um, men, don't, men can have hot flashes, but they don't that often. Um, usually what you see with men is decreased libido um, and decreased energy and weight gain, especially around the middle those. And we could have added erectile dysfunction on here too. Um, those are all things that if you see those in a man, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction, weight gain, you see any of those, decreased libido, you see any of those in a man and they're in their 40s don't think that they need Lipitor, don't think that they need Viagra, don't, you know, the first thing you should think of is fix the problem. Those are where the symptoms are, that's what's causing the symptoms. So you have any insight there, Carl?
1: Yeah, probably, you know, again, the same uh, thoughts that I have is uh, men are, you know, they're more simple creatures. Um, and so it for the most part, uh, 90% of the male population I work with, they're, You know, once we get them going, uh, they're good to go. Great.
0: Next slide, Lindsay. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and let you kind of take over, Carl, on this and just talk about, um, you know, uh, what initial lab review looks like uh, in women.
1: Right, and so you know, keep in mind, and and I don't know the exact audience that I'm looking at or teaching to, so you'll know them better than I do. But you know, again, you're getting a Typical history, finding out you know what is the what's going on with that uh, particular patient. So there might be a few things you would add or subtract from this, but this is a usual woman's panel that I'll get uh, the complete blood count, the CMP, vitamin D. Uh, you know, I think you addressed that uh, with our last uh, seminar a month ago. Vitamin D levels. I can't remember if we did or not, but I always you know talk to my patients that. Wow, that's the natural happy hormone, the natural anti-inflammatory, the natural anti-infective. Uh, and I just can't tell you how many patients I've seen with vitamin D levels in the 15, 18, 20 range when really they should be 70 to 100 if you, you know call that more of the optimal range. Uh, DHEAS, get that on both men and women. You know, again, that has to do with your adrenal system. And I think we talked about that last uh, teaching seminar, just that the adrenal system kind of overrides everything. Then you've got the endocrine system. So if the DHEA isn't where it needs to be, then we need to make, you know, we need to make corrections there. Uh, Lipipal, always nice just to get that baseline because it's also fun to see what happens once we start to correct Uh, you know, correct the uh, cholesterol by actually optimizing hormones, the vitamin D, uh, optimizing thyroid. So then we check TSH, free T3, free T4. I I do like to draw a little diagram and, and do some explanation as to why I'm doing the free T3 and free T4. And again, Sean, you addressed that last month with just explaining kind of the uh, the one being uh, the active metabolite, the other one, T3, is your more active metabolite. And then I like to look at uh, progesterone levels. And again, there's reference versus optimal. And then I don't always do microalbumin creatinine ratio, but I, I do like to add it in there because it is probably the most sensitive inflammatory biomarker based on the framing heart study, but it's still so underutilized. And so when I look at that number, I'm looking at uh, more fine-tuned numbers, meaning for a female, I like to see it at 7.4 or less. And for a male, 3.9 or less, where the cutoff range is zero, zero to 30. But again, the framing and heart study has uh, really pulled this one out. as one of those independent biomarkers for inflammation.
0: So basically lower microalbumin and you have less inflammation.
1: Correct. Doesn't say where, you know, in that 60,000 miles of arterial lining, but at least if it's elevated, then for me, it just kind of indicates, okay, there's inflammation and maybe some of the treatment that we're going to work towards today will help reduce that inflammation.
0: And remember on vitamin D, we didn't put it in there, but it's vitamin D3. And the best way to measure vitamin D3 is 25-hydroxyvitamin D3. So because that's the one that stays in your body for a long time. So remember that when it comes to vitamin D3. And if you want any more specifics, please, you know, you can refer back to last month, I believe, or we have had a presentation on vitamin D. But, um, you know, we can get you that information. So email Lindsay and she can get you that information. Go ahead, next slide. So... Um. Go ahead and continue, Carl, with the uh, labs,
1: female. Okay. So, um, yeah, may add additional labs. Again, just it's it's based on their history. Uh, you know, fatigue, uh, unusual amount of uh, uh, menstruation, or heavy amounts. Uh, then I'm going to check the t- uh, total iron binding capacity, uh, which will include their ferritin level. It's not uncommon for me to see ferritin levels in the 10, 16, 20, uh, maybe 30s. But uh, again, I like to see that closer to 70 to 90 for optimal. Uh, B12, again, there's reference ranges, and I like to see that on the higher end, closer to 1,100. So it, it's really based on the, the personal a history that I'm obtaining so I don't always get those labs but uh, you know I'll listen to kind of what they're telling me and then we use genomic DNA testing through GX Sciences uh, that has been actually probably the best way to personalize and individualize a nutritional program for these uh, patients uh, again, you know, one of the things that we do try and do is when we're integrating and doing uh, really more functional medicine is you want to be able to optimize uh, some of those nutritional deficits, which, again, is going to make the adrenal system work better, the endocrine system, and you, you have all these things working in synergy it makes a huge difference for the patient. Absolutely.
0: So we do have a question, Carl, uh, from a viewer. How much does the genetic testing cost?
1: Uh, Let's see, you know, if you go to their GX Sciences website, you can see the various testing that they provide. There's neurotransmitter testing, uh, there's vitamin testing, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the cost. Uh, I want to say the low end, depending on What you're getting could be as low as 174 to the high end saying somewhere in the 320 range. And it just depends on how extensive uh, the testing you want to do. Uh, I feel very confident about this company. I've met uh, the founder, the owner, Dr. Uh, uh, Stewart, um, and actually have had several of my patients from the Wenatchee Valley area that actually have been seeing him since 2013, they fly down to Austin and then they found out that uh, we're doing this same type of genomic testing up here. And so now they're kind of staying put rather than heading down to Austin.
0: That's awesome. All right, let's go ahead and move on. So let's go into males now. So go, go ahead and go through this, Carl.
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, males for the most part, as we talked about are more simple creatures and, uh, um, you know, I still get some basics, uh, CBC, CMP. I do look at their vitamin D, uh, e- even with the, these, some of these men that come in, uh, they're tanned, uh, they're bronze from being out in the sun all the time. Uh, and I'll check their vitamin D levels and still find that they're not optimal. You know, maybe they're in the thirties. And again, I like to get pushed that vitamin D level 70 to hundred. There's even one study. I got one slide in my uh, slide presentation where uh, vitamin D levels in the 70 to 90 have been shown to reduce colon cancer. Uh, so, again, baseline D there. DHEA, uh, same thing uh, with, again, women and men. You need to correct those adrenal system. And, and one story I have on that one is uh, this gentleman came in and uh, thir- 35, something like that, and wanted an antidepressant. He said, I'm, I'm depressed. I need something to help, and he's not necessarily one that I would be putting on testosterone. Still, he was uh, married, still wanting to have kids, so didn't even approach that. Looked at his DHEA levels, and again, men should be 400 to 500 optimal, and he was sitting at 60 or 70. Started replacing that, and within weeks, uh, his depression went away, and he was feeling great. So uh, that's a nice little example there. Panel, amazing, um, test- yeah. Amazing story. Yeah. Testosterone. And, and again, I try and uh, uh, stay uh, free and clear of the gym rats. So um, you know, 40 and under, I generally am not going to be testing their testosterone unless there's other issues that are uh, rising to the top. Uh, same thing, TSH, free T3, T4. Uh, we talked about the microimmune creatinine ratio being a good baseline inflammatory panel. And then no, I do like to check their PSA. And then uh, other labs do are based on history, uh, but again, I like to do that genomic DNA testing just to find out where their nutritional deficits are. Estradiol, uh, I don't typically check this. Uh, in, in, again, unless uh, it's reasons for research Now I know earlier on when I was doing uh, this kind of hormonal treatment, testosterone, I think the big thing, and Sean, you can uh, pipe in on this is, uh, you know, estradiol is considered evil for men or bad. Right. Um, And so, you know, we talked uh, many years about, uh, many years ago about aromatase inhibitors or how to prevent that conversion from testosterone to estradiol. And now, there are so many benefits to estradiol, even for men. And there's been some discussion about, okay, maybe estradiol levels at 70 to hundred, which is the same level you would be at if you were a 20 year old male. But I generally don't check it unless there's an issue or perhaps I'm doing research. So not one that comes up.
0: Yeah. I, my opinion of estradiol is just that, is just that Carl, first of all, I think, you know, testosterone does aromatize to estradiol, but I think it is worse in when you have high peaks, like with injections and if you do transdermal. And, you know, speaking of gym rats, I think that it's got a little bit overblown because of gym rats. Um, So for, you know, your listeners and viewers out there, what that means is if you have a 40-year-old or less male come in and they talk to you about what they want you to prescribe – like test they want you to prescribe testosterone injections, and then they want you to prescribe, um, um, you know, an aromatase in- inhibitor with it or an estrogen blocker. They'll call it. My my thing is stay away or be careful. You want to be really really careful with those patients because um, there's a there's a saying Carl's heard this before too because he got trained the same place I did that um, you know what happens when you feed the stray cat, leave, leave the milk out for one stray cat. All of a sudden you have 40 stray cats. So be very, very careful about that. So I'm with the opinion of on the estradiol. Also, what, most people don't realize is that men have an estradiol ratio, a level of like 50 as a baseline in their twenties and thirties. So I don't see a problem with estradiol. So now if they are getting kind of comastia, you know, maybe there is an issue, but a lot of times it's a weight issue too, because you store a lot more fat when you are overweight. So that's probably a whole nother issue. So I'm sorry, you store a lot more estrogen when you're overweight. So that's probably a whole nother issue. So, so yeah, uh, thank you for that, Carl. So what about thyroid in men? You must check that too, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's up there in that TSH free T three free T four because again, if we're going to see elevated cholesterol, we know the benefits of optimizing their
0: T three. Awesome. All right. I think um, so. Go ahead and 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 hit on this a little bit about lab review, Um, Carl
1: yeah so you know again you you get their labs and it's not that the labs uh, drive everything because it's really based on their symptoms and combining looking at their labs uh and and you know for some of my remote patients um you know i i see them one time in office and then we might set up a zoom meeting or a facetime meeting to go over labs and kind of determine or lay out a plan for women, I definitely let them know that this is not going to be an easy fix. Again, uh, we've talked about men being more simple. Uh, women are just, you know, created differently, more complex in terms of the things, the hormones going on, and the endocrine system. So I kind of give them upfront. It may take up to a year if it's a lot less than great. But uh, if you let them know it's a whole year, then they're not feeling bad if they're six months into it and they're still kind of struggling. Uh, for men, three to six months. Um, but really my experience has been, oh my goodness, you just turn that dial and you get them going and, and uh, you don't see them or hear from them until it's you know six, eight, nine months down the road.
0: Yeah, yeah, men are a little bit easier. I, I, I usually tell men eight weeks and they'll be feeling pretty good. Right, right, and many within a week they'll they'll report back.
1: Oh, especially if they're yeah, especially if they're if their thyroid are well, even if their thyroid is in the basement, but uh, if their adrenal system is in the basement, if their testosterone is in the basement, meaning uh, I I have one gentleman I was looking at labs here where the testosterone was thirty eight, and so within weeks he was he was feeling great. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, so eight weeks, uh, again, I don't, uh, you know, that's typically for if I'm starting folks on thyroid, trying to optimize your thyroid, I really uh, look at doing mostly just checking the free T3 because I want to optimize that thyroid. Um, and I just saw a question here from Matt, uh, uh, what is the upper limit of testosterone that you will titrate to? So um, testosterone is not, once I determine that they're low, it's not something, uh, even if they're feeling crummy. Okay. So, um, with testosterone, I don't really, once I determine that they're, they're low, I don't recheck. It. As a general rule. And, uh, and you know, let me,
0: if you don't mind, Carl, I'm going to reiterate, I'm going to go ahead and uh, reiterate on that. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. So I, I know that sounds really, really crazy, but here's, here's one of the reasons why, um, it's important to know what lab you're checking and timing of the dose versus um, when the lab draw is. And if you think about what a lab draw is, a lab draw is a small, very small, very small snapshot in time. I will get this question from providers quite commonly. I'll get a question like, well, um, this guy's testosterone is 1300. Um, we got to take it. That, that's way too high for this guy. And I'll ask, well, how are they feeling? And they'll say, oh, you know, he feels great. No acne, no oily skin, no aggression. He feels better than he's felt in years. I'll say, well, don't change anything. But some people get really, really conservative. And that normal level in a total testosterone is anywhere from 250 to 800, let's say. So it's outside of that range. So what I will remind those practitioners is, well, if you don't want it to be high, then Tell them to not use it that morning. And if they're applying their testosterone once every morning, don't use it that morning. Get their blood drawn and then apply it afterwards. And their level will be back down to like baseline. So it'll be like three, four hundred. And that'll make you happy. So basically what Carl is saying is you just can't you can't chase lab levels. And so sometimes it's just better to not chase them. You know clinically, you know clinically what is going on. And, um, it's really, really, you know, it's really, really hard to get, you know, as long as they're going through their refills appropriately and they're not, you know, overusing the cream inappropriately, which with a cream, it's harder to overuse and it would be an injection. So, um, that's kind of what Carl's alluding to there and why he, why he doesn't check. If you do check, just be ready for, be ready for, you know, for the, for the action, if you want to take an action. So if it is too high, realize if it was drawn, the blood was Drawn an hour after taking their, using their testosterone, it's going to be high. If you don't want it to be that high, then wait 12 hours. So just realize what what you're going to do with that test.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's uh, somewhat protects you too because again, there's still a, a number of folks out there that feel that testosterone causes heart attack and stroke, and that has just never been a cause and effect uh, find at all. But If some event takes place, they're going to go looking at your lab and go, hey, their testosterone level was high. Right. And again, back to what Sean said, it's like, well, when was that drawn? You have all those issues. And then the other thing that happens from a physiological standpoint is testosterone is only going to fill so many receptor sites. And then once those receptor sites are filled, it gets converted to estradiol. Uh, So you can have that isolated high level and and really what does that mean so it's back to symptoms back to skin you know all those other things absolutely and then yes so again with men uh it's stable you know follow up in a year that's with men uh it's again pretty routine but uh women it, it might be three to every three months in that first year
0: So case studies, Um, go ahead, Carl, this is a great, this is a great case study.
1: Yes, so 31-year-old female with a history of PCOS, diagnosed uh, when 16, um, had a history of fibrocystic breast, painful, debilitating periods, acne, moody, no sex drive, fatigue, Uh, getting pregnant was challenging, but eventually was successful, had been on birth control, but is no longer taking and now wants to do something more quote unquote, Natsal has been seeing another clinician and getting some help, but nowhere, uh, but not where she'd like to be. Goals for this patient with PCOS, and this is in general for PCOS, is you wanna optimize the thyroid progesterone levels along with reducing insulin resistance uh, or IR. Uh, this person is taking NP thyroid, two grains or 120 milligrams every morning. Next slide. Uh, the labs that she brought in, uh, TSH had not been done, uh, which is fine. Um, again, this, I think she came in from someone else. 3T4 was uh, 1.42. And uh, some of the other work I've looked at, uh, besides uh, taking the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, is Dale Bredesen. Uh, he's out of Southern California. Uh, he's done a lot of work on preventing Alzheimer's. And so, talk about uh, optimal between that one to uh, 1.0 to 1.5 Her free t3 is 5.59 which again most folks would might freak out about that but uh, a lot of the work that i've looked at uh, says that optimal range is 4.4 plus or 4.4 to 6.6 Uh, Her estradiol, again, I don't typically check this for pre-perimenopausal females unless we're doing research. We want to just track it, but it's not something that uh, I typically do. I will for my menopausal females. Uh, Her adrenals were good at 223. Her progesterone was actually pretty good, uh, close to that, uh, really that range, that optimal range of 10 to 21. Uh, Just wanted to confirm that she, you know, she really had not uh, been given a a definitive diagnosis of PCOS. It was just what she had heard, but uh, did an FSH. It was 1.5, LH 1.6. So that's a one-to-one ratio. Typically, you're going to see a two or even three-to-one ratio. Um, So she was definitely either in the uh, the process of flipping or just that's kind of where she's been. Our uh, ferritin level was 67, so close to optimal. So really, at this point, uh, you know, levels that uh, weren't too bad when I inherited her. So she had already been making some good progress. Next slide.
0: And so if you don't mind me adding some things there, Carl. Um, one thing that you'll notice is that free T3 of 5.59, I can honestly tell you, at least the patients we see, because normally we see patients that have fallen through the cracks, Normally the only way you would see a free T three in that high of range is if they're taking free T three. If they're taking T three of some sort. Um, like with uh armor thyroid that she's taking or the NP thyroid. Um, so it's just a note that, you know, watch for your patients when they're on levothyroxine only because those free T threes will be in the twos almost invariably, at least for the patients that are falling through the cracks and the normal ones that I see. Um and again, what Carl was saying about the estradiol, it's, it's kind of worthless to check estradiol in a premenopausal woman because it is it, – only check estradiol postmenopause because mm-hmm. it is going to invariably be normal or high, um, as it is in this case. Um, another thing I want to to say is the progesterone level. And, you know, Carl can add on to this if you would like. Um, progesterone in somebody that is cycling especially – it is all over the board, depending on where they're at in their cycle. So their progesterone might be normal when you check their blood that day. But remember what a blood what a blood test is. It's a snapshot in time. That doesn't mean that she's not going to have low progesterone symptoms at different times of the month. So um, remember, labs are a tool to go along with symptoms in history. Right, right.
1: So go next ahead. Next slide. Uh, so... Uh, And again, sweet gown, I'm still working uh, with her. And uh, uh, because of the COVID-19, we kind of fell off a little bit on on getting her back in, but she's coming back in. And so the plan was to remain on the empty thyroid, Uh, Thought that was great, she's doing good there. Uh, Went ahead and added progesterone, 100 milligrams sustained release at nighttime. Um, Metformin to really help uh, reduce insulin resistance and then said let's get back in uh, recheck uh, labs eight to nine weeks also talked to her about um you know eating a non-inflammatory diet intermittent fasting eighteen six or sixteen eight, and that's uh based on a lot of uh, dr jason fong's work out of uh, toronto canada and this gal actually was already up to date and really well ahead of the curve in terms of knowing about in- non-inflammatory foods and intermittent fasting uh came back in second labs uh, again. Free T4, free T3 were fine. Uh, she was still complaining of uh, low energy, no no uh, sex drive. Uh, she just simply could not tolerate the metformin. Uh, her progesterone, uh, you know, this time the 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 window of time we caught her at 1.04, um, and she was still having weight gain in spite, you know, doing all these things, intermittent fast and routine exercise. So again, a reminder that I'm giving you probably the most challenging case that I've had. So, you know, I've had uh, the bell shaped curve and she's falling outside the bell shaped curve. So I don't want to discourage you, but she is a tough one to work with, but easy to work with in terms of patient wise. And she knows that she's going to be challenging just because there's so many variables coming into play. Okay, next slide. Um, so had her adjust her MP thyroid, and and this is something that has worked well, is you just have them split it. Um, 120 in the morning and 15 milligrams at 2 p.m., and again, doesn't work well for everybody because trying to remember that's, that dose at 2 p.m., especially she's a mom of kids, but she felt that she could do it. Uh, she was having some brain fog i increased her progesterone to 200 milligrams uh and i stopped the metformin uh had her start uh, which is a mostly a medication used in european countries been it's still in the us um, just to see if we could have a better results on her insulin resistance uh, she was not able to tolerate the metformin problem with this medication it still has gi uh, side effects uh, such as increased flatulence so um you know just gave it to her to see what uh we could come from that um testosterone cream, uh just to see if we could kind of increase that uh, libido that uh, because i don't know if the labs are there but uh, her testosterone was definitely low uh and then we asked her to come back to you know check labs but again uh, due to the COVID-19 not able to get them so hopefully next week we'll be seeing where she's at but I've been in communication with her and she's actually feeling better she just wants to find out where labs are. Uh, next one is a okay this is a probably one of my most favorite patients uh, saw her in 2018 still a patient um, and her history was pretty amazing in that she had this long-standing history of abnormal pain, irregular periods, including episodes of heavy flow to the point where she was not able to even leave the home for a day or two or sometimes up to three days. Uh, she would become so debilitated to the point she had to stay in this darkened bedroom. Husband would have to come home from work to attend to their young children. And her periods were every 30 to 35 days um, she had suffered acne throughout her adult life uh, and uh, was just absolutely miserable. And, and as you can see there, uh, at one point, uh, could not even climb the stairs. Also has a history of anxiety. Uh, she says she overall sleeps well. Uh, so she comes in for her labs and um, check her micro 1.3. Uh, lipoprotein A, I, I do check that every once in a while uh, because that's another inflammatory marker cholesterol HDL ratio, all good. Her free T3 was uh, you know on the lower side at 3.3. Her ferritin was low at 31. Again, optimal. I like to see that closer to 70. Progesterone really actually looked pretty good at 14.5 when I, again, have seen optimal somewhere between 10 and 21, but also recognizing I'm capturing her at that moment in time. Uh, adrenals are uh, fairly decent again I like to see DHEA 200 to 250 vitamin D definitely low uh, FSH LH ratio 2.5 to 4.9 so this is flipped again you want to have it at two to one or three to one so for me I was able to confirm to this gal that had been suffering I mean really I 28 is when I first saw her and she had gone through all these years, 21 to 28, of missing two to three days of her life every single month. Uh, and she'd never been diagnosed with PCOS. So that diagnosis plus the low vitamin D, low ferritin and anxiety. So wanted to give her vitamin D, uh, wanted to go ahead and bump her up and give her 10,000 for that first month and then bump back down to 5,000. Start on our nature thyroid, Uh, Again, the importance of taking down an empty stomach. I think most of us are aware of that. I learned recently that even taking it with minimal amount of water uh, helps because, again, the water minerals can interact with absorption. Is that your understanding as well?
0: Yeah, I never thought about mineralized water, I guess, if you were drinking. Because minerals, for sure, will decrease absorption. So I never thought about mineralized water. But unless you had distilled water, it probably would be a good idea.
1: Right, right. Uh, had her take a B complex once daily in the morning. Next slide, please. Um, feral food, which uh, has iron in it. I get that from standard processing, but uh, you know, folks have their comfort level of what type of iron they're using. Uh that's fine. Uh in her case, I started her on progesterone 50 milligrams rapid dissolve uh, troches. Um, and, and the reason for that we have found is. In her case, uh, if you remember back to her history, she sleeps well, but anxiety was part of her history. And so giving it rapid dissolve during the day or in the morning really helps uh, calm her anxiety. And what I wanted to do was instead of a once daily, I said, okay, let's figure out that 14 day window. And you know we'll start at, at, at that point and then see how you do. And again, give it the option to increase to two daily if needed. Um, I also happen to use, uh, I have a nutritionist that I've worked with and and, uh, so she kind of recommended pituitropin twice daily and hypothalamus. These are both supplements from standard process. And you know, in speaking with this nutritionist, uh, Amy Duncan, she said, well, this will help with uh, reducing that LHFSH ratio and you know i've had good response from this patient uh third visit patient is here for follow-up she's doing well has noticed a difference with her anxiety in taking the progesterone uh noticed a significant calmness that she's never had uh she does increase it during her cycle and this has helped tremendously as well um uh, she, she's on her period it, it, it's still heavy but it's only two days during the month um, but she's no longer actually you know off off the slide there, it's like she is just someone that I picture uh, just the uh, absolute beauty and happiness because suddenly she gained two to three days of her life back each and every month. Um, we check her labs and free T3 still sitting at 3.3, ferritin at least bumped up a little bit. Um, FSH, LH ratio didn't really adjust much, but her vitamin D did increase, and her progesterone is now sitting at 20. So had her increase her ferrofood to two daily, and uh, or uh, could switch to a different non-iron based supplement. Next slide. Uh, and then uh, I was just talking with the patient a couple of days ago. She's happily pregnant with her third child, um, week 32 and her midwives did take her off progesterone at the second trimester, which is pretty common to have that happen. And in her case, I talked to her about maybe uh, putting her on progesterone at the time of birth to prevent uh, postpartum depression, but she said she would definitely be in touch with me uh, as she gets closer. Okay, then we have uh, the male, 68 year old, no energy, uh, no sex drive. Is wondering if he should have his uh, testosterone checked. Uh, concerned with issues of prostate as well concerned um, about testosterone and, and will it increase his risk for prostate cancer. Sean, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah um, I might let you discuss the science of it a little bit because I I kind of am a little um, cynical sometimes when I talk about it because I've been I've been doing this for 20 plus years now and you know 20some years ago when we first started doing it um, there was a you know, urologists were like, oh yeah, testosterone causes prostate cancer. Let's not give testosterone because it causes prostate cancer. And in my opinion, it made no rational sense whatsoever. I thought, well, let's see who gets prostate cancer. Usually men in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and and sometimes a little bit younger um, when their testosterone is, you know, definitely declining for sure. If prostate cancer was caused by, high testosterone levels then how come 19 year old men don't get prostate cancer so and i could really i could debate that subject for a long time but um you know if you want to that's that's just my rational thought It, it has the same thing to do my thought is the same thing when it comes to testosterone causing heart attacks if testosterone caused heart attacks then you know 19 year old men would be having heart attacks now just to, sh- just to say, association does not prove causation. So just because somebody's on testosterone does not mean it caused a heart attack when they are 70, or does not mean that it caused prostate cancer. So if you want to you know, um, go from there on to some of the science, um, um, Carl, and, and what you do in clinical practice, I would appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, there's never been a study uh, to show that there's a cause and effect exactly. Uh, And so here is the protective effect of when you're taking testosterone supplementation back to, I talked about the receptor sites, you know, so from a physiological standpoint, there are so, there are only so many receptor sites. Once the testosterone fills those receptor sites, it gets converted to estradiol. Estradiol has been found to have a protective effect against prostate. And I actually have a patient that I'm giving both testosterone 2 and estradiol 2, but he's post prostate cancer treatment. And it's quite fascinating to watch. You know, I just kind of titrate his PSA to 1.0 or less based on giving him testosterone and even supplementing him with estradiol. Not something I, I'd recommend for folks that aren't seasoned or have the, uh, the training under their belt, but uh, I've had great, uh, great uh, success with that. Uh, In this gentleman, uh, we did, okay, I'm going to actually step back a little bit. So the challenge sometimes is, in this case, I use Cleveland Heart Labs um, because Cleveland Heart Labs will take Medicare, um, you know, Medicare patients that we see um, versus we'll use Quest Labs. So you have to kind of go back and forth between Quest or LabCorp or CHL, Cleveland Heart Labs. So their testosterone-free is a different... um, Uh, assay that they're using it's 7.44 and so again if you uh, if someone else is seeing this patient they go your your testosterone is within range you're you're fine you don't need it and really I'd like to push him closer to 25. Uh, TSH was good Uh, T4 was normal free T3 was low at 2.6 again optimal is uh, that I like to see it as 4.4 to 6.6 PSA 3.25. All other labs were within normal limits. Okay, initiated uh, testosterone 200 milligrams per pump. Apply once daily to scrotal sac. Uh, you, you know, you'll notice that um, actually most times, uh, Sean, when you've sent out uh, testosterone, it's applied to the shoulders, uh, but scrotal sac really is the is the best absorption site. And you talked about that at your last session as well
0: absolutely yeah we actually have a study to show we know clinically what was going on when we would have patients apply it um scrotally we we knew it was being absorbed and and what their levels were reaching um but we never really had a study until we um about two years ago we did a study a case study to show how it's absorbed and maintains um good adequate levels for uh, up to 12 over 12 hours actually so it's a great way to to um, deliver testosterone, and you have less risk of transfer to somebody else than if you were applying it to your arm and shoulder area.
1: Right, right. Uh, initiated uh, natural thyroid once daily. Uh, rechecked his labs. Uh, again, men are so much easier. Free T three is four point two, um, and, and then I don't routinely check testosterone. Just uh, you know, we talked about those in the previous slides. Uh, patient doing very well. Restored his energy level, uh, increased his uh, sex drive. He had lost weight, gained muscle tone, uh, and like I said, in general, men are much easier to manage. Um, one of the things that uh, actually before I go on that next slide, uh, that I do want to address, and I didn't put in these slides, is. When you're talking with men about the benefits of testosterone, there's usually like 11 points that I'll go through. And I'll I'll do increased libido as the last one because, you know, I don't want his wife coming, running at me uh, pissed off because, you know, I've increased his sex drive. So I kind of put that as the bottom list. or it might be on the top of his list, Um, but I don't want the spousal units really mad at me. Okay, next slide.
0: And on that, um, Matt, or um, Carl, Matt Dinsmore had a question. Will you pull that question up? I don't know if I can see that. Uh, I think it's aromatase inhibitors. Is that the last question, Lindsay? Will you just, uh, is that correct? Yeah. And I don't think we answered it. We, we answered it earlier, but he went ahead and asked it again. So what about men in aromatase inhibitors? Let's go ahead and, and say that really quickly again, Carl.
1: So, yeah, so that used to be uh, the previous uh, kind of theory is, boy, we got to eliminate estradiol and its harmful effects. And really what we've found is estradiol has good cardiovascular protection. Estradiol can lower cholesterol. Estradiol is good for bone health. Estradiol is good for uh, the health of the prostate. And so unless someone is getting, you know, breast tenderness, breast enlargement, uh, which we really don't find with the use of bioidentical cream, uh, we're not uh, using aromatase inhibitors. Hopefully that, does that help, man? Okay. Uh, So this patient uh, uh, recently inherited her 89-year-old female with uh, no energy, restless leg syndrome, interested in hormone replacement therapy, Brain fog, simply no longer enjoying life, so quite depressed. Um, Tempted for years to have her doctor from Spokane adjust her thyroid and place her on hormones. Um, You know, she's been experiencing hot flashes and some depression. And, uh, you know, the common, uh, really, some of the elderly patients and and even my younger patients, it's amazing that... uh, what they get from their physicians is, hey, you know, you're old. What, what do you expect? Um, and all your labs are normal. Uh, this patient was already taking levothyroxine along with her medications for blood pressure. And just
0: just so I can um, go on a sideline of that. So, you know, here's this patient. Is, she's 89 years old. She's on thyroid already, and she's on blood pressure medication. So when we talk about how long should somebody stay on hormone replacement, Um, well, how long would that doctor keep her on blood pressure and that thyroid replacement? So if we want her to feel better and we can make her feel better with, you know, some estrogen and progesterone, why wouldn't we do that? You know, same thing. let's, Let's think about bone density. That's the thing why when I talk to patients, how long would a doctor keep you on something for your bone density? Well, probably for the rest of your life. Hormones, I believe should be no different. Now that's a very personal decision between them and their prescriber, but, um, those are my beliefs. Go ahead, Carl.
1: So, you know, even, so labs, again, I can understand, you know, her physician was looking at TSH, T4, T3, hey, those are all normal, Uh, you don't need anything, her progesterone was non-existent, which, you know, again, you expect to see that in someone with menopausal, her estradiol, 16, cardiovascular protection, bone protection, brain protection, I like to see that estradiol, 70 to 120, and that's, again, based on some good reference data, some some of the hours I've taken at uh, these lectures. Uh, her adrenal system, actually pretty good for her age. Would like to see her closer to 200. Vitamin D, uh, definitely in the basement. And I think I saw her pre COVID days uh, before that all started. So definitely got her started on the vitamin D 50,000 once weekly. Thankful I did, just because, again, there's great protection there uh, for any virus. Uh, starter in her case, uh, let's go back to w- number one myothyronine. You know, normally some of these patients, I'm going to start them on a nature thyroid or NP thyroid or compounded thyroid. Um, because she's 89 and because you're dealing with, uh, again, someone aged, you, you want to make these tweaks and changes in kind of minor increments. So I kept her on her levothyroxine and just uh, asked her to add liothyronine or straight uh, T3, start on progesterone and started on on the bies 0.51 milligram and then DHA 10 milligrams uh, once daily just to kind of boost up her adrenals just a little bit go ahead um returned last week with her daughter just feeling uh, absolutely wonderful um not always good at remembering her morning lyophiline or her nightly progesterone but overall her energy and stamina had improved um came back with her Uh, TSH, free T4, free T3, still not where I wanted to see it, so probably a big indication that she's not uh, taking that live as scheduled. Uh, Progesterone, again, uh, she admitted uh, that she wasn't always good at uh, remembering that, but she was definitely good at taking the bites because her estradiol was uh, right where I wanted to see it, and her adrenals had improved and her vitamin D levels had improved. Uh, So the plan is really to have her daughter set up a plan to help her remember medications, uh, specifically her and her progesterone, and then we'll plan to recheck her again in eight to nine weeks. But on a uh, personal note, oh my goodness, she was doing uh, tremendously better, even with making some of those minor changes. That's just an
0: awesome story. Well, thank you for going through those, Carl. Those are great stories. And what I'd like to say about those stories is those are not unique. Um, I know we hear about those stories all the time in our pharmacy, at least daily. We have a patient's lives that, life that has been changed by um, somebody like Carl who has balanced, balanced somebody's hormones. So does anybody have any questions? You can send it in the chat or you can uh, um, unmute yourself and you can ask the question. We would We would love to answer any questions if you have anything. If you don't, you do know how to get a hold of us. That uh, concludes our, our our CME presentation. Make sure you stay in touch with Lindsay so you can get credit for this. And make sure you give us feedback about what subjects and topics you would like to hear about next time because I think it's September 30th we'll have our next one. We're going to go on a break for the summer, but we would love to see you in uh, in September. So ask us about, you know, give us feedback and let us know what subjects you'd like to hear about. Other than that, I think we are finished for the day. So thank you so much for listening and keep in touch. Oh, Matt has a question. What's the question? Did we answer that? Estrogen blockers, I think we answered that, Um, uh, Matt, uh, but we – we don't typically use them when you're using transdermal topical testosterone. You don't typically need them. There's many benefits of estradiol. Men need estradiol just like women do. It's, it's, it's good for many different things. So typically, unless they're getting gynecomastia, um, we don't traditionally use estrogen blockers like aromatase inhibitors.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, I, I don't remember the last time I used it in uh, the last uh, conference I attended uh, Matt uh, they were there's another uh, prevention wellness uh, hormone conference, uh, another group out there, and, and I think the founder of that group, it was probably a year, two years ago, had a heart attack and a massive heart attack and died, and he was a pretty fit, uh, robust, uh, physically fit gentleman and ended up having this massive heart attack, and he was uh, big into romatose inhibitors. And I think even that uh, organization has now stepped away from the use of aromatase inhibitors, again, not wanting to block all the benefits of estradiol.
0: Absolutely, that's an interesting story. That's good to know. All right, with that, we'll conclude our presentation. Please stay in okay. touch. Thank you so all much. Right. Thank
1: you.